this is Carrie Peters and Stacey Morgenstern and welcome to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast where we're here to question how we do life because the normal rules no longer apply. Hey guys, Hannah Duncan here with the Better Than Ever podcast. This month is National Cancer Survivor Awareness Month and we're featuring stories from our community. This week, we're featuring health and transformation coach and Become a Health Coach graduate, Amanda Kelly from Revitalize and Thrive. I had primary mediastinal B-cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, basically. Um, But within non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, there's like 80, 80 plus different forms of lymphoma. So mine is primary mediastinal B-cell lymphoma, meaning it was B-cells that got a little out of whack. And I don't know what the primary actually refers to, but mediastinal means it's like in my, it was in my chest area. Cancer isn't just like one thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it manifests in so, so many different ways and in different mm-hmm. forms, even within breast cancer, within lymphoma, within whatever types, there's so many different ways that, and then there's the different stages. Of course, I was stage two, caught it early. It hadn't spread, but I did have a growth the size of a grapefruit in my chest. <laughs> it was continuing to grow like from one week to the next when I got my CT, CT scan and my PET scan. Literally, it was exactly one week apart, and like you didn't need a doctor to tell you it had grown. You could see in the measurement it was a centimeter larger in one direction and half a centimeter larger in the next direction. It, it was aggressive and it was big and it was compressing my lungs and my heart, and it, it was crazy stuff. <laughs> I want to know, you know, before you were diagnosed, what was life like for you? Life was like all in all pretty good. I was pretty healthy. I loved to travel. I was active. Um, I lived abroad several times. I went to grad school in London. Like I couldn't have done any of that if I was, you know, in poor health. I didn't have to worry about my health ever. I had never went to the doctor. (laughs) Growing up, I was a gymnast, did dance and gymnastics. I competed nationally. So I was always super active. And then I was a cheerleader all through college because I, you know, I just wanted to keep going upside down and flipping and tumbling. And (laughs) it was pretty fun. Um, And then after I graduated, I found yoga. I wound up getting three teacher training certificates in yoga. So I was like really into it. I was very conscious of what I put into my body. Of course, you know what you know at the time. (laughs) I think even as a child, we really limited like the processed foods. Like I didn't have lucky charms for breakfast. That wasn't allowed. (laughs) I was healthy, but you know, looking back, I can clearly see points where I wasn't as healthy as I thought perhaps. But you know, the fact of the matter is like, I, I didn't have serious health issues. I didn't have digestive issues. I literally never went to the doctor as a young adult because I didn't need to. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you, you led a a fairly normal life. And so was there a moment where you started to notice that something was wrong or did you even notice? Was it a complete surprise? Um, well, in hindsight, I can see the buildup. Um, and knowing what I know now, I had an aggressive form. It's uh, basically aggressive forms of cancer. They don't take as long to grow. Most cancers 
take five to 10 years, usually closer to 10, uh, to, for you to even notice anything, for something to come up in a scan. Uh, my, my form was aggressive, and those cases, it can take just a, a year, a year and a half. Um, especially for it to get the size that it did. Maybe it was a year and a half, but like it's very possible. It was literally just about a year. Um, and looking back at the year I had before I was diagnosed, like it makes a lot more sense when you look at everything that was going on in my life. I had a job that was pretty stressful. Like the schedule just wasn't working for me the realities, the logistics of the job, they were very stressful. I worked after school and on the weekends, mostly Sundays, but uh, it really cut into my social life. It cut into any kind of normal, healthy schedule that I would have wanted for myself. Like I would get home and have dinner at 9, 9.30, sometimes even 10. It got to the point where I was just like so exhausted. And then I was living in Manhattan and doing like a reverse commute a lot of days also you know working in manhattan so i was just kind of all over the place and then in my old apartment there was construction starting at 7 a.m every morning outside of my bedroom window i knew that there was a wake-up call with jackhammers like there i was waking up at 7 a.m regardless of what time i went to sleep and then beyond that i had like a lot of stressors in my personal life one day i was like going to work and i had this really it was like out of the blue i was just like thinking about this last night for the first time in a long time but it was out of the blue i had this really sharp pain in my stomach well it kind of like started to grow and I, you know, it kind of like went in and out, faded in and out. And I was like, okay, let me just like leave the apartment. I went and had lunch in um, a park nearby and I tried to just relax, but it just like kept growing worse and worse. And I went back to the apartment and my roommate was like, you should probably call like the medicine or wherever she said to call. And I called them and um, they basically were like, well, you might as well just go straight to the ER because if it's life threatening, we would just send you there anyway. And I was like, what? And I just started laughing because I was like, this isn't life threatening. Who are we kidding here? I'm healthy. And you know, as soon as I left, the pain just disappeared. It was something that I'd never experienced before, like sharp pain in my stomach. Like I just have to wonder like, how, like what kind of signals my body was giving me that I needed to do something to like get my stress in order. And then, you know, August rolled around and I like work really ramps up quickly before uh, the school year begins in that uh, world. So I, I hit burnout complete burnout and exhaustion before the school year even started. And I turned 30 that September too. Like, so two weeks after I experienced that like awful moment, I was turning 30 and I was not feeling like I, this is something to celebrate. I was like, where is my life right now? This is not fun. <laughs> it was Thanksgiving weekend that November that I had the first real clue about what specifically was going on. I actually got a massage that Saturday. And after the massage, I had this kind of like dull pain in my chest. Went to the doctor a few days later because 
like that Monday and Tuesday, I got home from work and kind of felt like chills and I was like off and I was like, "Eh, well, it's December now. Um, You know, it's probably just like a cold thing. But I I mentioned the chest pain and I was like, I don't know what it is. But and he, you know, said, well, you're a healthy 30 year old. Um, You know, I think it's from what you're describing, it sounds like pleurisy, which is just an inflammation of the lung lining. It's not that serious. All you do for that is like rest and relax. And he's like, yeah, just rest. You're stressed. I know you're stressed. So just do your best to relax as much as possible. A couple weeks later, I kind of felt a little better for a week and then I got sick again. So I went back, he gave me antibiotics by the holidays. I was like, all right, I I think I'm like, okay. Now that winter, I just kept not feeling right. I couldn't kick the cough. And then when I went to yoga, there were certain positions that would trigger the cough in particular, like I would fold forward and start coughing. I would, I couldn't lie on my back without coughing. Um, and you know, it got to the point where I couldn't lie down on my back at all to go to sleep. I couldn't lie on my left side to go to sleep because it caused pain. And I didn't know what was going on in my body at all. Um, But I had these coughs, so I was like, I'm just sick. (laughs) Like, I have these bad colds, and he diagnosed me with pleurisy. I was like, I'm just not kicking the pleurisy, (laughs) because I had looked up the symptoms for that. And, you know, that's the thing with, uh, with lymphoma, is the symptoms are not immediately apparent. And that's the case with, I think, maybe other cancers as well. Like, it's not very obvious what your symptoms are. It got to the point where I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without getting winded. I was on antibiotics again at that point. Um, but then I, I couldn't walk halfway down the block without feeling awful. Like, I had to stop and a woman came up to me and asked me if I was okay. And I was like this is insane. I'm 30 years old, not 80. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and a very healthy 32, it sounds like you were very active. So not being able to walk a block, sick or not sick, like is still. Yeah. It was bizarre. So I, um, that was the week before my uncle passed away and he actually passed away from cancer. So there's actually a history of cancer in my family, but from what I understand, there's no genetic component to what I got, but he um, didn't respond well. He had a very different form. I forget exactly what, but it was like something in the abdomen area. He went a lot more quickly than anybody expected him to. This was March 21st. And I woke up with extremely sharp shooting pain in my shoulder. And like, I, I think I mentioned, like, I couldn't lie on my back and I couldn't lie on my uh, left side. I eventually fell asleep, though, like folded forward over a pillow because I couldn't lie back. The morning after my uncle passed, I called up my doctor. I'd done all the Google searching for my symptoms, and I convinced myself I had a pulmonary embolism. <laughs> Thank like, you, WebMD. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I literally called up my doctor. Whatever it was, I knew I had to get it checked. I was like, this isn't normal. And, you know, given my family history, I, like, you know, I just have to, like, make sure everything's clear. But 
you know, I called on my doctor. I was like, I need a CT scan this afternoon. And the receptionist was like, um, you need a reason to get a CT scan. You can't just come in here and get one. I was like, like I self-diagnosed um, myself. Yeah. I know what I have. <laughs> like, I have a reason. I need a scan. And she was like, well, you need an insurance approval. And I was like, well, I need to see the doctor. Get me in there today. And so she booked me for early that afternoon. And because I had been in in December and it wasn't getting any better, he sent me down for an x-ray. I think it was partially to appease me, but he was like, okay, yeah, you've been complaining of the symptoms. We'll do that. So I got the x-ray and he told me to come right back up after the x-ray and he pulled up the results and he kind of paused. He looked at them and he was like, huh, this is weird. I'm not sure what this is. And then he turns and looks at me and is like, it looks like you've earned that CT scan after all. <laughs> and I didn't want to be right about that, but he turned the computer screen and showed me that there is some kind of white film covering my left lung. We got the insurance approval and he sent me right back down for that CT scan that afternoon. So I actually did get that CT scan that afternoon. And the next morning I was flying with my family to my uncle's funeral actually. So we were at the airport in the morning and that I got a call from the hospital saying that I needed to schedule a PET scan. And I was like, what does that mean? What's a PET scan and why? And the woman paused and she was like, oh, you, your doctor hasn't told you this yet? And I was like, well, no, <laughs> it's like nine in the morning. Um, so I got off the phone without scheduling it, obviously. And I emailed, I called my doctor, but he was in with the patient. So the receptionist said, um, you know, I, I was like, can you please have him call, like email me, I'm going to be boarding a plane. So by the time I landed, I had an email in my inbox with the results of my CT scan and it showed a growth. They use the word growth. Um, in my chest, in the primary mediastinal region, it was, it was basically the size of a grapefruit. It had a list of like possible diagnoses and lymphoma was there. Um, but there were also a couple other things there. It, there was a chance it was still benign. So I really didn't know anything certain. Um, I scheduled the PET scan for the following Wednesday. And then I had an appointment with the surgeon, um, the CT surgeon that Friday. And when we went to the surgeon uh, to meet with him. They had the results of the PET scan ready and it had showed activity. So he broke the news that this was not a dog for him. And we were like, what does that mean? <laughs> and he was like, well, if there's activity, it likely means cancer. And we just sat there like in shock. I was with my parents at that point. Um, and we were like, how does this happen? And he was like, honestly, we have no idea. Um, and he's like, there's a chance it's not 
but my best guess is it's lymphoma and the way you treat lymphoma is with chemotherapy. Um, it's not a solid mass tumor like you get with a lot of other cancers because lymphatic system goes all throughout the body. It's basically the circulatory system. So they do not treat it with surgery, which in hindsight, like, probably better that they didn't like crack open my chest and you know try to remove some stuff like that like I but I, all I wanted was for them to get it out so I was like but I just want you to get it out of me now uh, and I was like I want to go through chemo and like my family um and my uncle wasn't the only one my dad was like one of eight and six of his immediate family members have passed from cancer and oh, one of my cousins as well when he was 30 he was a bit older than me so uh, you know it happened years ago but you know it it's not genetic apparently lymphoma isn't but you know i i saw what happened with my family members and i was terrified of the chemo because they never did really respond so well because chemo's insanely intense it's basically poison is what it is it really is like you just kill everything including the cancer cells but you kill everything <laughs> in the process so I was terrified and I didn't want to lose my hair obviously I had hair down to my waist and it was like this really pretty like strawberry blonde color people always complimented me on it so it's like really like an integral part of my identity so I was like but I don't want to lose my hair and he's like well look on the bright side it might grow back curly. <laughs> and I was like, but I don't want curly hair. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of funny in a way, <laughs> but it wasn't funny at all. Like I was obviously crying and stuff, but there was still so much uncertainty because it wasn't confirmed and I had to get a needle biopsy was the next step. And then after the needle biopsy, uh, I, I met, it was a, a drawn out process for them to confirm which form of whatever it was that I had. So a few days later, I got a call from the oncologist saying it was confirmed lymphoma. And I was at work at that point. So that sucked. I like tried to like power through. But yeah, I, I um, you got the news and tried to make it through a work day. You didn't take <laughs> off or anything? Well, so my, um, so I was with one student and we finished and then at my next student they were actually cancer surgeons the parents were cancer surgeons they recommended this one oncologist he was one of the top lymphoma specialists in the world and he had a wonderful like bedside manner about him on the phone and I could tell that he would have been a wonderful doctor however he was away in like South Korea giving a presentation about lymphoma or something like that. So when I actually met with the oncologist, it wasn't him. And the one I met with, he was two hours late for the appointment. I didn't apologize. And then um, he told me I would lose my hair just very matter of factly. And there's a risk of infertility. So I would likely have to remove part of my ovaries. And I was like, wait, wait, what? Hold up. And he just kind of like was just like, xyz this is what's gonna happen and i was like wait a second there is it's the hair loss isn't even the worst part of this i might actually become infertile and like i've always wanted kids and a family and everything so when i found that out that was the most devastating part of it for me was learning that there is that risk of the treatment and i really didn't have a choice like that was the treatment i had to go through because i had an aggressive form and 
the only way to treat aggressive forms of cancer is to hit it aggressively. <laughs> so my treatment protocol was 600 hours of chemotherapy. It was a chemo cocktail, five different chemo drugs and um, immunotherapy. The way he broke the news and told me, oh yeah, you can eat whatever you want, have your steak as long as it isn't raw, ice cream, pizza, it doesn't matter. And then he was telling me I'd have to remove my ovaries. And I was like, oh gosh, get me that other oncologist appointment now. So I uh, sent everything through and I met with him the next week and he sent me up with the fertility doctor before I even met with him. Uh, I don't know for anybody who's ever dealt with like infertility they know but like a lot of people don't like it's a really grueling process you it's so exact as well and there's no guarantee of the outcome um, so that was insanely stressful actually going through that but it it worked it was stressful but successful <laughs> but I had to get up between at like you know seven every morning and go and get blood work um, fortunately I was not too far from the center to do that otherwise I would have had to wake up at like six in the morning every morning um, blood work every morning and then they had to tell you the exact dosage and you gave yourself two or three injections every day at a very precise time um, and if you got the dosage off by even just like a teeny bit it could ruin the whole process so and it, they adjusted it every day too it was a different level of hormones every day and yeah so I did that uh, I got my eggs out <laughs> Um, and then a lot for your body to go through even before it's going through. It was, yeah. And I had a bone marrow biopsy the day before That's I started nice. the whole fertility process. When I went in to see the oncologist, he was like, well, you're here. I want to just like double check that your bone marrow is clean. It was fortunately, but I had to do that. But like I, you know, I had a super serious standing reaction and I my heart stopped and my breathing stopped and they had to hook me up to oxygen and I, I recovered and I was totally fine but it was like it was after the procedure it was just my body saying like uh I'm I've had enough like stop and then I had to go in for like 10 days of like hormones and blood work and stuff like that so, what are you doing to me yeah. <laughs> me that made me feel crazy <laughs> It was so crazy. I literally, I don't know if you watch Game of Thrones, um, but yeah. Of course. <laughs> so I had just watched that episode where Melisandre became that like old woman. I don't know if we know that, that episode. Yes, but, I do. Yeah. <laughs> very shocking. And it was very shocking. Well, I, I felt exactly like she looked. <laughs> After I went through the egg retrieval process, I was, I looked at myself in the mirror. I, I looked like I was four months pregnant because I was that bloated from the hormones. And this was after losing like 10 pounds from putting myself on a raw vegan diet all throughout the diagnostic process. I did that for like six weeks. So I cleansed my system and everything. So, so what was your, so you're starting chemotherapy. You've already been through all of this. Uh, you've already been through quite a bit with your body. What? What about your family? What was your family doing during this time? It sounds like you have a, a pretty good support system. They were there for you for the first appointment. What were they thinking? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, obviously, <laughs> like as hard as it is for a cancer patient, as hard as it is for any 
caregiver of any cancer patient, no matter what the relationship is. Like, I can't really imagine what it's like to be a parent going through that with a child. I'm a grown child, but I'm still their child. <laughs> yeah, you'll always be yeah. their baby. Yeah, I'm always going to be their baby. So I really, like, it was insanely stressful for them, I know. Um, but I, I, I still don't think, like, I fully can appreciate what it was like for them to go through that. But we, they were there for me. And my sister was also there for me. It was, it's just the four of us. It was just my, me, me and my sister growing up. And it was the four of us when we first met with the oncologist. My sister like took off from work. My sister, this was in March. And my sister was getting married. Uh, well, actually, that was the beginning of April at that point. She's getting married on September 30th. And I was her maid of honor. So we just... And we had just lost my uncle. And so it was just like too much. And my sister was with me when we were going to the funeral. So she knew that there was a chance. Because like when I read the email from my doctor and I, I got that, oh, no, when I first looked up PET scan, what is a PET scan? I was sitting at the airport waiting for the plane to board. And I just looked up PET scan. What's for? Oh, it's to, to detect cancer is like one of the main things. And I started crying and my dad and my sister looked at me like, uh oh. <laughs> so they knew obviously like that there was this risk, but you know, as much as you prepare for it, like I knew there was a risk of cancer and I acted as if that's what I was going in for. I prepare myself for the worst the whole time. I put myself on this diet reg regimen based on like nutrition for cancer. But no matter how much you prepare, actually getting the news is like devastating. Like you, there's nothing you can do to prepare for it really. It's like hear it confirmed. So my sister visited me in the hospital almost every day that I was there because my treatment regimen was uh, like, it was a three week cycle and I had to go in six times for four days each, give or take a few hours. <laughs> um, I was hooked up 24 seven and I got like, uh, yeah, it was about a hundred hours of chemotherapy for each round. Um, and, and the, it started with my immunotherapy first and then I was hooked up for 24 seven. So when I say hooked up, I had wires in my arm the whole time. Um, the whole summer I had wires. I had a nurse who had to come between treatments and like clean it and change the dressing and everything. Um, so yeah, I had the pick line. A lot of people got a port in their chest or something, but I had a pick line in my arm, um, which dunk because I couldn't go in the water. I had to be really careful when I showered. I had to leave my arm. I had to cover it with plastic and then leave it out. Um, I couldn't go in the water, obviously. So like on top of the fact that I was spending like a month of my summer in the hospital, <laughs> I, I couldn't really enjoy much of the summer when like between treatments either. Um, but like I said, my sister visited me almost every day. Fortunately, she was like, 10 minutes away from my hospital by, by foot because <laughs> I was in Manhattan and she lived in Manhattan. So she could just come and visit me after work, but she was busy planning a wedding, working a full-time job. And she had a reasonable commute within the city, like 
you know, she had extremely busy days herself, but she managed to visit me a lot. So she was great. My parents were great. My dad, especially because I live with my dad now. I moved home with my dad for the process. And um, yeah, and, and beyond that, like my friends and my community and my like just my whole network, my social networks and everything, they really stepped up. Um, and as, like my church community in particular, I think of as really just like being amazing because I don't really go to my childhood church so much, but my parents still are involved. So I think for them, it was really helpful to like have that additional support network. Is there anything that you could or any advice that you could give to uh, somebody who's watching a loved one go through this? For the patients and the caregivers themselves, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be shy to. I think a lot of people hesitate and they feel like, I know, well, for me especially, I was young and healthy and I, you know, felt like I should be strong enough to, you know, take care of my own problems and, you know, deal with things myself. But obviously, cancer is like a different level. <laughs> so, and a lot of people also, I think, um, just generally in life have trouble asking for help and sharing their vulnerabilities. And this is the most vulnerable thing you can possibly go through. But I was very open about it because I found that the more I shared, the more that the more helpful, useful stuff came to me. People said, Oh, talk to this person. Oh, you should like go check out this website. Oh, like go see this doctor. Um, I was hooked up to so many incredibly useful resources. So don't be shy to ask for help. And I think for people who are in the networks trying to support, um, sometimes it's really difficult to know how to support somebody going through that and offer help. And if they don't reply, if they don't reply when you reach out, don't take that personally either. That's what I was trying to get at before. <laughs> yeah, don't take it personally if they don't reply because maybe they're, they just can't even handle like processing a text message. I don't, sorry, that was like a little choppy of an answer there. But. Yeah, no, it, made, it makes perfect sense. So like thinking, yeah. almost thinking ahead for somebody, like what are needs that you, or what is something that you do daily that you don't think about and maybe maybe do that for that person because they may actually need it because they don't have time to think about doing that. Yeah, uh, yeah. You're going through chemotherapy. Um, you've lost your hair at this point. I'd like to talk about the moment that I actually got to meet you in person, mm. um, which was at HCI Live in San Diego. Yeah. And you had this really cool moment where you got up on the catwalk at the Dress to Express party and you had this beautiful strawberry blonde wig on, and, but nobody knew it was a wig. And you started walking on the catwalk and you pulled your wig off right when you got to the end and did this uh, adorable twirl. And I mean, the room 
went wild. Everyone was cheering and uh, <laughs> supporting and sending love your way. What inspired you to do that? When did you decide you were going to do that? I mean, that was a huge moment. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I wish I, I could really like pin, pin down what I was thinking. <laughs> um, what inspired me to do that? I don't know. I wish I knew like fully, but like kind of thinking back. Well, just a note on that wig, because that is an amazing wig. I had an a, like, amazing chemo angel. She had gone through exactly what I went through like six months before I had, and she had gotten this wig. She's a hairstylist, and she's, you know, had amazing hair herself, and so she got this wig, and she wound up not really wearing it that much, because she had a rough process herself, and just, you know, she was home with her baby and her husband when she was home, um, but I think she, I know she actually had a rougher time than I did, so she actually didn't really wind up wearing the wig so much, and by the time I was diagnosed, um, she wasn't really wearing it anymore, because her hair was grown in, so she really wanted to pass it on and she gave me this wig and it was amazing and it was blonde but she tinted it red for me and i so i had this incredible wig that i could wear for my sister's wedding events and for her wedding itself um which was amazing because i had the long hair and i had red hair growing up and for the wedding events in particular, like we couldn't imagine me going through all of that with no hair or like a, a weird, you know, kind of not so natural looking wig. So to have that was just incredible. And I wore it, I would, I, a fair amount, you know, on days that I didn't really leave the house, I would just walk around with a scarf or nothing because it was summer. But, uh, you know, whenever I went out and like, it, it was really nice to actually dress up. When, on the days that I felt good, I loved having a reason to put on my makeup, put on a cute outfit, and put that wig on and like make my hair look all fabulous and everything. Because then people really didn't know. I, I had a um, an arm sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had an arm sleeve that had all these ruffles on it and it was really cute. And so honestly, people thought it was like a weird fashion statement. I, I, I don't know why anybody would wear an arm sleeve just like for fun but it covered up my pick line so as far as anybody was concerned I was just like a healthy normal person on the days I felt good and I had my long hair and it felt fabulous so I was used to wearing it and I hadn't really gone out in public very much at all with, with no hair I went out with other wigs on occasion but I uh, you know still was pretty bald at that point <laughs> It was starting to come in, but like it, it was just like tiny little spikes of hair. So you could still see all my full baldness. And I got up there. Well, the catwalk was a surprise. <laughs> I didn't know that was happening, but it was the dress to express party after all. And when I was like, I was like, oh, I want to go down the, the catwalk. And then I was like staying there in line and I was like, the whole point is like expressing who we are right and in that moment I was bald <laughs> and I think I just kind of was like I need to 
do this. And I, I walked down the thing, not really knowing what I was doing. And I got to the end. So I was like, all right, I'm going to whip this thing off. <laughs> Let's talk about where you are now. You know, you've been through quite a bit. Uh, what's going on with your health now? Are you, are you feeling okay? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty great for the most part. Yeah. Uh, so I was officially announced in remission September 27th. I finished treatment August 23rd. So they waited a few weeks to kind of let my body resettle, I guess. Um, and it was three days before my sister's wedding. So we could all breathe a huge sigh of relief. It was amazing oh to be gosh. able to call up my family and friends and say yes I'm fine and like my family was like phew we can celebrate without anything crazy hanging over our heads and you know it was just like a huge relief for everybody um I do have to ask like how has this experience changed uh, or helped shape you as a health coach because you are a certified mm -hmm. health coach yes I am which is very fit. <laughs> thank you did you graduate um, in uh, September, is that what you said? So no? I, I was in the September BHC course, September 2016, and I graduated in March 2017. So congratulations, <laughs> very, very recent. Yeah, yeah, recent. So I started the course like three weeks after I finished chemo, basically. Yeah, because I knew that I had to like go go on this path. So I, you know, I think this whole experience has definitely helped me in a lot of ways go for this career path and you know nobody ever wants to go through what I went through but now I can come from a place of like real understanding when people are going through um ill health of it you know in a lot of different iterations um you know I was pretty healthy throughout my life so I knew you know how to be healthy, but I didn't really know as much what it was like to suffer from ill health, what it was like to be sick, um, what it was like to have a devastating diagnosis. Um, so now I, I know what it's like to go through treatment and hospitalization and to go through all this kind of stuff and to have to pick yourself back up and recover, like what that really takes. Um, you know, I know what it's like to have to rebalance your gut from antibiotics uh, or, you know, chemo. But, you know, a lot of people have gut issues and I never really knew what that was like. So now I, I really understand what it's like and exactly what you have to go through. It sounds like it's made you a more empathetic coach because you can, you, yeah. you can actually relate to clients going through a rough time. Maybe if it's not exactly the same, you do mm -hmm. know what, what pain and what your body feels like when it's not. Yeah. yeah. And like, I like going through that one thing kind of maybe go through like a whole bunch of different things. Cause it's like a system wide thing. So I, I have a, a semblance of understanding for a lot of different things that people have to go through. And then of course, like I myself went through insomnia, anxiety, and like burnout and stress and all that kind of stuff. Chronic fatigue. I'm pretty sure adrenal burnout was a factor there for me. Um, I didn't really know what that was at the time. Um, so, and my, uh, goal, my primary goal is to help with like, you know, stress and 
gut health right now. So, you know, I think that informs a lot. My personal experiences inform a lot of um, how I approach coaching right now. Um, but yeah, so I know how to get out of health ruts because <laughs> I think, you know, it's a, like gut issues aside. And I think that's all kind of getting to the point where it is balancing. I am feeling really good now. My insomnia is fine. I was also on Ativan all summer because I of the sleep issues. And I took myself off of that in September. I was like addicted to NyQuil with the cough and everything. I, I wasn't sleeping on my own for a long time. And I sleep through the night pretty regularly now. So that's like amazing. It feels amazing. <laughs> was there a quote or um, a saying or an image or something that you thought of throughout this entire process <laughs> something that inspired you that you could you could share to our audience well <laughs> one thing immediately came to mind there's a lot of quotes i think yeah i'm trying to think of like you know deeper quotes that really resonated with me but my sister gave me my favorite thing which i still hang like on my my lamp you got this it hung on my IV pole every time I went in. Uh, like the first thing I did was decorate my IV pole when I went into the hospital. I put this little sign. I have these little snowflake ornaments that are just pretty and sparkly. So even though it was the middle of summer, I decided to hang snowflakes on my <laughs> snowflake ornaments. They're like, you know, like six inches or big snowflake ornaments um, on my IV stand because they were sparkly and fun. And then after my sister's bachelorette, I even put like the bachelorette beads on. <laughs> I just decorated my pole. But every time I had this little thing that says, you got this. And I like I have to say all the doctors and the nurses when they came in and saw this they were like I love that and other patients saw it they were like I love it and when I would walk around I wasn't allowed to leave my floor of the hospital I was stuck there on the, the oncology floor I would walk around to get my steps in and every time I passed people they were like yeah you got this and I was like you got this too <laughs> and I just, I still love it. Like I, it's still like one of my mottos, like you got this, no matter what you're going through, you can do it, whatever you're trying to do. <laughs> this is your life. You get one life, do it all. You got it. <laughs> so it's not like, you know, some deep, profound quote, but uh, yeah, I still love it. You got this. Thanks for tuning in to Better Than Ever, a Health Coach Institute podcast. For more information on our programs, please go to www.healthcoachinstitute.com. Comment and share if you like what you hear.